It's not not usually a good sign when the preacher brings water up here with him in for a long sermon. I I promise you that's not the sign this afternoon. Uh, Voice is a little bit off. I told some of you this morning the product of coaching, I think, seven or eight basketball games this week. And so uh, sometimes I have a little more hoarseness than I normally do, and it gets worse when I get excited. And if you all have listened to me preach very many times, I usually get excited whenever I'm up here uh, speaking, so I'll have that in, in case I need it. A few weeks back, we had a 1.30 service and did a question and answer, and that was the plan for today. Jacob and I aren't entirely sure if there was really a change in Tyler's flight schedules or if it was him trying to punt on a question and answer, so we decided to save that for him when he's, uh, when he's back in, in town. Um, I thought the 1.30 service before that, boy, I'm sure not envious of Tyler. That's a difficult task to have church and then to eat and then to speak again and uh, I did not at the time realize that that would be me in that position in a short, in a short order. So appreciate those of you that have, have stayed around this afternoon and helped to honor our graduates and to, to be back here at 1.30 uh, to take part in our, in our um, service this evening. When I say this morning, I'm talking about right now. When I say tonight, I'm talking about right now. And so uh, not used to saying afternoon when you are, are we Jeff, when, when you're doing song leading or doing the sermon or whatever. So y'all know when we say morning or night or anything else we're, talk, we're talking about right now. A couple of things I do want to mention before we get into the lesson. Number one, I saw several of you with the printed um, copies, uh, some of the copies of our directory this morning. And I think we've already said this maybe, probably not enough. There were many members of the congregation that spent a lot, a lot, a lot of hours uh, working on getting that directory and so a huge thank you to them uh, a lot of time and effort went into that and a lot of coordination that has to take place to get that many different families to to turn something in so certainly want to thank each one of them um, I used to would try to name them and I've made enough people mad over the years that I don't anymore uh, so everybody that took part in that thank you uh, for, for the work and effort that went into that and then also a special thank you for Jacob. Uh, I don't know if he knows it or not, or if you all know it or not, but I think uh, today is his one-year anniversary with us. Uh, and so Jacob's been here with us for a year now. And so we'll have another potluck after we finish this service. I'm just kidding. You're on your own for supper tonight. Uh, but we do, do definitely appreciate him. I know the kids love him, uh, the, the parents love him, and uh, what a blessing he's been to our congregation. And so hope it's the first year of many, many more to come. But we appreciate you, Jacob, and hope that you're happy here as we are with, uh, with having you here. Now, <clears throat> with all that being said, if you got an outline tonight, <laughs> if you got an outline this afternoon, go ahead and take that out. And kind of a follow-up from our lesson in our first service, a message for graduates or a message for me. And so this afternoon we're looking at the question, you know, all that's good, you know, great suggestions, those are great. But what if I fail? But what if I fail? What if I decide to become a Christian and I'm baptized? What if after I do that I fail? What if I become a mom or dad and I'm trying to raise my child right, but somewhere along the way I, as the parent, make mistakes and I fail? What if that happens? What if I, as the child, trying to live up to my parents' expectations, trying to live up to the expectations of the youth group and of of, of Jesus, what if I fail? I think that's a real question that people ask, that people worry about. I would start by saying that it's not the right question. It should be rewritten to what happens when I fail, (laughs) because it's going to happen. But that's not the attitude that everyone has. 
As a matter of fact, it's the first point on your outlines, and it's not a good sermon. I've always been told a good sermon has three points in a poem, and I've only got two points. There's one and two. So it's not going to be a good sermon. So number one on the outline, examine the attitudes of many people in regards to failure. And there's probably more than these three. I wanted to address these three. The first attitude is the person that says, I'm never going to fail. You know, there's people out there that talk that way. I'm never going to fail. There's people out there that act that way. I'm never going to fail. I've got my life together. It's the passage that was read for us tonight, wasn't it? That the Pharisee went down and Todd read it, and he said, boy, God, I thank you that I'm not like that guy. That could never be me. So there's some that have the attitude that I'm never going to fail. When Austin was in the youth group, he sent me a, a, a message, or it might have been Luke. It was either Luke or Austin one. We both shared it several times and laughed about it. It's a picture of a guy at the free throw line. He's getting ready to shoot, and he's jawing. Him and another guy are, are, are trash-talking back and forth to each other. And right before he shoots, he looks at him, and, and the microphone on the go picks it up clear as day. He looks at him, and he says, I ain't never going to miss. Anybody want to guess what happened on that free throw? <laughs> Clanks it off the side of the rim. It's, it's one of the funniest clips. I've got it saved because I play it from time to time when I want a good chuckle. I ain't never going to miss is what he says as, as he bricks it off the side of the rim. There's some people in the world, uh, there's some people in the church that live a life like I'm not ever going to fail. You know, the second attitude that people have in regards to failure are the ones who have what some might view as low self-esteem, and, and they say, I'm always going to fail. It's kind of the Eeyore mentality. Well, what's the use? I'm always going to fail. I can never do anything right. I'm not going to try to read a scripture. I'm not going to try to lead a prayer. I'm not going to try to give a talk. I'm not going to invite someone to church. What's the use? Because I'm always going to fail. I don't think Jesus wants us to have that attitude either. Do y'all? Uh, the attitude that I'm always going uh, to fail. You know, I think we can use it sometimes as a motivator motivator as a positive again Luke 18 13 and 14 this tax collector stood afar off he wouldn't even raise his eyes to heaven he seems to have had this attitude of I'm a failure I'm always going to be a failure as a matter of fact he realizes those failures and he tells God God be merciful to me a sinner and notice he didn't say a failure he said me a sinner even when we fail we still have hope but there's some that are so paralyzed by past failures that they cannot live for the future. So you've got those, letter A, I'm never going to fail. Those, letter B, I'm always going to fail. And then letter C kind of goes in a different direction. That's why there's two blanks there. The group in letter C have the attitude of he or she is never going to fail. The person who looks, and again, not to repeat past sermons, but the person who looks to someone else as their example and puts all their faith and trust in that individual because that individual is never going to fail. And they get so caught up in trying to follow the life of someone else instead of the life of Jesus or instead of the life of, of Christ or instead of the life that's talked about in the Bible, <clears throat> they focus on the life of others. But we can't do that because when we put our trust solely on someone else, they're going to let us down. 
Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, all have sinned. That means to fail to maintain the target, to miss the mark. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is my opinion. You don't have to share it. I believe that's why the Bible doesn't gloss over the sins and shortcomings and failures of so many of the characters in the Bible from the Old Testament. We're told about the mistakes that they made. We're told about Paul's persecution of the church when he was still Saul and the things that he did wrong there. We're told about Peter's denial of Christ and how he turned his back on the Son of God. We're told about Noah and his drunkenness, David and Bathsheba. And the list could go on and on and on and on of all these great figures in the Bible that are talked about, many of them even in the Faith Hall of of Fame, not shame, the Faith Hall of Fame in Hebrews 11, about the great things that they did. But all of those people had one thing in common. (laughs) They weren't perfect. They all had failures. We can't live our life looking at others thinking they're never going to fail. Because we all do. We all come short. So, to get to the question that is the lesson... What if I fail? What do I do when I fail? And that's the remainder of our message this afternoon. It's number two in your outlines, uh, A through E. We're going to look at at five different ways that the Bible tells us what we can do when we fail. The first one of those, number one, is to accept the love and forgiveness of Christ. To accept the love and forgiveness of Christ. For some people, that's very difficult. For some people, it's very difficult to hear the words, you are forgiven, and to be able to go on. To not want to continually beat themselves up. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, this is number 1 under letter A. Jesus died for your sins. Romans 5 and verse 8 says that God showed his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Church, you and I just need to accept that. We need to put that on a personal level, that Christ died for me. We need to allow it to bring about the appropriate level of emotion, the appropriate level of appreciation, but not to the point that it paralyzes us from being able to accept that. We didn't ask him to. We didn't beg him to. We didn't force him to. Christ willingly did that for us. You and I need to accept the love and forgiveness of Jesus. We need to accept that by taking part in his blood, taking part in his death, burial, and resurrection because his blood cleanses us from all of our past failures. Romans chapter 5 and verse 9 says as much. It says, Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Our past failures, that is, separated us from God. But while we were separated, while we were lost, that's when Christ died for us. That blood that was shed saves us. God is like the father of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. In verse 7, it talks about the passage uh, prior to that, rather. It talks about those, uh, the, 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 the lost son coming back and the father seeing him from afar and running out to, to meet him. And that story has always meant a lot to me. It meant a lot to me when my sister uh, was alive in East Tennessee and she would come home to visit. Because as a young child, I would stay up waiting for her to get home. 
um, those of you that have children that have, have moved off, when they come home, um, you don't just go about your normal business. It was a big to-do at our house. There was usually a, a cake that was being baked. There was usually a meal that was being prepared. If it was late enough at night, there was a porch light that was turned on. There was always something special. And I got to take part in that. I wasn't anywhere coming home, but I was there, so I got to take part in that. And it was exciting. And you could, could just, just knew any minute when, when she was going to be there. And she would always call and say, I'm 30 minutes away. And so for the next 30 minutes, it was just the, the greatest time. And you're looking and you're waiting. And only one time did she sneak in. And that was on purpose. She didn't tell us she was coming. That was a whole other deal. But all the other times when we thought there was even a chance, we were waiting. And, and I, when she would pull in, we'd all run out to the car to meet her. And it's just what you do, right? But you only know that because you're looking and you're longing. This father in Luke 15 sees the son from afar. It means the father, I, I think was waiting and hoping for the sun to come. At least thought there was a possibility because when he saw the figure from way off, he knew it was the sun. And he ran to meet the same son that earlier in the chapter told dad he wanted nothing else to do with him. Pretty cool, isn't it? That's God, our Father, looking to you and I today when we've sinned, when we've failed, when we've said, God, get out of our lives. We want nothing else to do with you. God, your Father, is looking, waiting for you to come home. His blood cleanses us from our past failures. Psalms 103 and verse 13 says that as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. He wants us to do good. He wants us to live Christian lives, but he understands that we're humans. And humans need a Savior. Letter B, his blood cleanses us from all of our past failures. <clears throat> Letter B, what do I do when I fail? Letter B, I would submit to you that you and I need to move beyond our past failures. Move beyond your past failures. Now, I also want to tell you, this is much easier said than done. And it's much easier said than done to move on from your past failures <clears throat> because all of us have memories, don't we? We all remember things that we've done. We've all remembered things that we've, that we've said. I won't ask you to do a show of hands uh, because I don't want to embarrass anybody. But if I did, I suspect every hand would go up if I asked you who here this afternoon wishes that they could either take back something they've said or take back something they've done in their life. And we call that regrets, don't we? Whether it's something big or something small, something that, oh, I wish I could take that back. I wish I hadn't had said that. You can't take things back, can you? That's why I like video games. We've got a NASCAR game at home. If you're racing it and you hit the wall and you crash your car, you know what you do? It's like control C and you redo it. It restarts, man. The car's brand new again. And here you go. Life's not like that. And so when we make those failures, we remember them sometimes forever. And that's hard enough. Can I implore you to do something with me in the coming weeks and months? Don't be someone else's reminder. If someone's offended you or has hurt you or said something to you they shouldn't have, and they have asked your forgiveness for it and like they've reconciled, don't, don't, don't bring it back up to them over and over again. When it's a serious deal that, that we're trying to all get passed from. If someone's repented, don't, don't be their reminder. If you're the one trying to overcome your past, 
Then turn to Philippians 3 and, and listen to the words there. <clears throat> Forget those things that are behind. Reach toward the things that are ahead and press along to the goal. Now, if we're going to do that, we've got to have a goal. If we're going to press along to a goal, we've got to have a goal. And that goal should be to spend eternity in heaven. Forget the things that are behind and press along to the goal. How, how, do, I, how do I do that? I, I don't have any magic pill to take. But the Bible, as it always does, gives some advice. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. Y'all remember that? Finally, brethren, meditate on these things. And there's a whole section in the middle of those words that I omitted. But that's the beginning and the end of Philippians 4.8. Finally, brethren, meditate on these things. What things? And there's that list. The things that are true, noble, just, pure, lovely, of good report. If there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, those are the things. Whatever it is you try to not think of, what happens? It's what you think of. What is it, the... the Pink elephant, the people do when they're speaking. For the next five minutes, don't think about pink elephants. In the previous five minutes, not one of y'all had thought about a pink elephant. That's all you're going to think about for the rest of this message. Because I've told you not to. When you get something in your mind you're trying to not dwell on, the harder you try to not think about it, what do you think happens? You think about it. It's my least favorite thing. I hear parents yell at their kids on the basketball court shooting free throws. They'll yell out from the stands, just don't think about it. Kind of hard to not think about something you're trying to not think about. So how do you do it? You, you think about other things. You meditate on these things that are praiseworthy. Number two, move past your fa past failures. <clears throat> Number three, letter C. When you and I fail to, to go forward from that, we need to do the best we can with what we have. Do the best you can with what you have. It's one of my favorite sayings. I say it all the time around the house when I'm trying to do a um, do-it-yourself project. When I get finished, <laughs> it never looks perfect. So I always say, it's good enough for who it's for. Y'all ever said that? Good enough for who it's for. I did the best with what I had. Given my expertise, my abilities, the materials we had, hey, that's good enough for who it's for. We tried to paint some basketball lines out here on the ball court last week. Uh, me and Josh Gilbert helped me a little bit. And we got finished. It looks pretty good. And first thing that I said, whew, good enough for who it's for. <laughs> Given what we had and the task at hand, it, it turned out all right. Is it perfect? No. We're not going to get called to like go and do the ones at the parks in town anytime. But we got lines on the court now. And so it, it worked out. We used what we had. It was a leftover hand-me-down uh, stenciling system. And it got the job done. Do the best you can with what you have. And that means, number one, there you never measure yourself against another person. You never measure yourself against another person. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 4 says, Let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone, and not in another. Comparing yourself to someone else accomplishes nothing. It accomplishes nothing, especially when you're talking about your Christian life. If you want to compare yourself to someone else, what are you trying to gain from that? What's the end result of that going to be? If you compare yourself to someone else and you decide that you're better than they are, 
that you're more Christian than they are. And what have, what have you done? Because what's the standard that you're looking at? I mean, that's not the standard we're told to examine. So you, are you going to get an inflated sense of self-worth that now you've earned your trip to heaven? And what if you examine yourself against someone else and you find yourself lacking? To what extent? If you're a faithful, obedient child of God, there, there is no comparison to another person. That's not to be our standard. Never measure yourself against others, number one. Number two, remember that you and I are not judged based on what we do not have. We are not judged based on what we do not have. I, I think about the widow and her two mites. Uh, the widow came and she was giving the collection and the men came in with their, their giant bags of, of, of coins because there weren't paper bills. And so when they went through the collection, they would dump these coins. And as the, 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 the coins would go in, they would rattle around and make noise, great commotion. These rich men coming in, dumping in what they had. And then in comes the widow with her two little mites that would have barely made a sound when she dropped them in. And if you recall, the scripture praises her because she gave all that she had. She wasn't criticized for not giving as much as them, but rather she was praised because she did what she could with what she had. Remember, we're not judged based on what we do not have. I talked about it this morning, Matthew chapter 25, that one talent man, he wasn't criticized for not having as good of a return as the five talent man, but rather he was criticized and condemned for not doing what he could with what he had. Now, you and I need to make sure that we understand that we'll be expected to give an account for doing what we could with what we have. In the Old Testament, there was, was Moses who told God that he wasn't able to speak in front of Pharaoh. He wasn't able to speak in front of all those Israelites. And he gave God excuse after excuse on why he couldn't be the one to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. I've always thought this was interesting. You know, God could have simply given Moses the ability to do those things. I don't know if you've ever thought about it this way or not. Moses said, God, I, I, I can't speak. I, I'm not willing. God must have agreed at least a little bit. Because he gave Moses Aaron to be his spokesperson. You ever thought about it that way? I, I don't know what that conversation sounded like. If Moses said, but I can't talk in front. If God said, you know what, you're right. Let me give you somebody that can. Have you ever thought about it that way? Like, he, he didn't say, yeah, you can. Let me encourage you. I'll build you up. God looked at the situation and said, eh, you're going to be the one to do it. But yeah, okay, I'll, I'll send him with you. I don't know why. That gives me encouragement. Because he was still able to do it. He just had to have some extra help. You and I are only judged based on what we have, not what we do not have. Letter D if you and I are going to overcome failure, we must be persistent. We must be persistent. Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 5, is the parable of the persistent widow. And the parable there says that finally the judge gave in, not because he thought she was right, but because she was persistent and continued to ask. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 58, the Bible says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Don't give up. Don't give up on yourself. Don't give up on your friend. Don't give up on your brothers. Persistence pays off. It's a big difference 
in failing and being a failure. Did you hear that? The big difference in failing and being a failure. There's a quote. It was a, a commercial several years ago. It was a man playing basketball. And it says, I've missed over 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost over 300 games. 26 times my teammates trusted me to take the game-winning shot. And 26 times I missed. The man in the commercial is none other than Michael Jordan. The commercial's about all of his different failures on the basketball court. But I think if someone were to be talking about great basketball players... I guess Scottie Pippen recently might disagree, but other than him, I think if you asked others what they thought about Michael Jordan, if not the greatest of all time, one of the greatest of all times, definitely not a failure, but he definitely had failings. Church, in your Christian walk, you're going to have failings. Don't allow those failings to turn you into a failure. And that is missing an eternity in heaven. Be persistent. And finally, last one, letter E. When you and I make mistakes, when you and I fail, we need to make sure that we learn from our mistakes. That we learn from our mistakes. Never be afraid to admit that you were wrong. For when you admit that you're wrong, it means that you're wiser than you were. In Acts chapter 13, and verse 13, we read that John Mark decided to leave the mission field in Pamphylia. And so Paul and his party left uh, behind. And so in Acts chapter 15, 37 through 39, we see Barnabas um, is portraying this Christian attitude of forgiveness and Paul portraying the attitude of I won't be fooled again. There's the decision there, the split there between wanting to uh, take him back with them on the next journey or not. It gets to the point that they agree that they can't go all of them together. And so the missionary team splits and you have two teams that come from it. They learn from their mistakes. The one learning from the mistake of saying, I can't trust him again. He might leave us again. The other learning from his mistake and saying, I was wrong. If you'll give me a second chance, I'll stay with you this time. And the end result, they couldn't reach a reconciliation. But they both went about doing the work of the Lord. When you and I fail, we've got to be persistent. We've got to learn from our mistakes. We've got to come back and do better in trying to do the, the work of the Lord. Maybe not a long one this afternoon, but I hope it's one that you can take with you and, and contemplate in the week ahead. What am I going to do when I fail? How am I going to respond? Is it going to be a domino effect of where one failure leads to another that leads to another that leads to another? Or am I going to take the approach that I'm going to learn from my past mistakes? I'm going to learn from my past failures, but I'm going to press along to the goal, the goal of an eternity in heaven. I'm going to ask for forgiveness. I'm going to allow those who have sinned against me and who have repented and asked forgiveness of me, I'm going to allow them to have peace and to be able to continue in their Christian life as well. What is, what is your response going to be this afternoon to your failures? If you've never put on Christ in baptism for remission of your sins, I, I would encourage you to do that uh, now. If you need to study more about it, we can do that. If you've got some change in your life, some failure in your past that you've never been able to let go, some failure in your past that you've never asked forgiveness for you, there's no reason to leave here that way today. We'd pray with you and for you. If we could help you in any way at all, please come while we stand and sing.
gently, gently to his foe. See him soul and open. 